Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, I was uh, 15 years old, and I just finished a full day of work at the Sobeys grocery store on Goddard Street in downtown Halifax, and I was walking home to get the bus, and uh, it was dark out. A guy stepped in front of me and asked me if I could give him a light for his cigarette. And as I went to respond, he, I, I felt another hand in my back pocket. <laughs> and, uh, and I swung around and I was grabbed and, uh, and, and emptied my pockets. What, what was taken? Everything I had cash-wise. What was I left with? Not even enough money to get my bus ticket home to uh, Herring Cove, Nova Scotia, and uh, what, it, what happened? A shakedown. <laughs> a shakedown. In the words of uh, a song by Elvis Presley on the radio at that time, I was all shook up. <laughs> Sorry about that. What's a shakedown? Looked it up in the dictionary. Webster says it's to obtain money in a deceitful or illegal manner, like extortion, deceit, or blackmail. But I sort of like the way the Urban Dictionary put it. It said this, because this is sort of what happened to me. Basically, it says, it is one party getting into the personal assets of another party without consent. So taking, it's basically, a shakedown means something's taken. And then here's an interesting definition that uh, dictionaries give, a testing of something new for possible fault or defects, to reveal what's wrong. So if a boat's on its maiden cruise, it's it's called a shakedown cruise, or a test flight of an airplane, it's a shakedown. So it reveals, is something wrong there? And then there's a third definition, which is a thorough search of a person or place to reveal what is really there. So you have a shakedown to say, okay, well, what's, what are we left with here? And uh, so three questions. What was taken? What was revealed? And what was left? Now, if you went to the disciples of Jesus and had them look at their entire lives and asked them, what was the worst shakedown experience you ever had? They would be unanimous. They would not hesitate. They would say it was the Passover Friday when Jesus, our Messiah, was crucified. You say, worst shakedown ever? Let's see how it qualifies according to the dictionary definitions. What was taken, disciples? And they would say, well, basically everything. When Jesus asked us to follow him, did you ever read the Gospels? We left everything to follow him. And our trust in him just increased as we did. He said that he was going to lead us into a kingdom. And we followed him. And and when he would draw large crowds and, and do miracles, the first announcement that he would make is that the kingdom of God is now here. And so we would get so excited as his closest followers. And we would talk about what position we would get in that kingdom. 
And, and he would always teach about the kingdom. He would say the kingdom of God is like a seed. Although sometimes he would say things that we didn't quite get. He, he, he would also say this, I tell you the truth. Unless a seed is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new seeds, a plentiful harvest of new lives. But, but anyway, we, we were all in. We were, so what was taken from us? Well, listen, when you're all in, after Friday, it was all gone. Disciples, what was revealed, you know? If this was a true shakedown, what was revealed? Well, fear was revealed. When Jesus was arrested, we, we scattered in fear. We abandoned him right when he needed us most. And confusion. I mean, he had told us that he would bring us into a kingdom that would never end. And then he dies. You can't have a kingdom without a king. We were confused. That's what was revealed. Disciples, what were you left with? Well, devastated minds, demolished dreams, disillusionment with God, a dread of evil's powers, and a future empty of everything except for fear. Now, now here in 2021, COVID has been the shakedown experience of a lifetime for, for many, especially if they've... Uh, lost a lot that was important to them. What, what, what's, what's taken? Well, jobs have been taken, financial security, uh, time with people that we love has been taken. And for others, educational and vocational uh, dreams and, and, and goals, travel plans, they've been taken. What, what, what has been revealed? Oh, stress levels and confusion levels, doubts, what are we left with? Well, we're left just wondering at the end of COVID, what is my life and what is the world going to look like going forward? Now, a, a lot that are in this gathering today, you've had worse shakedowns than COVID. Uh, I think the worst shakedowns, isn't it true, are those where we, we were doing what was right and it turned out wrong, you know? We're just trying to help and then we ended up being victimized. We were trying to please God, and it's like God let us down. It's sort of like what happened to Aggie's father. Read this book years ago and, and pulled it out, read parts of it again, because I remembered how David Flood felt that God had left him down. You see, David and his wife, Svea, were one of two couples that left Sweden in 1921 why? Because they wanted to sacrifice their lives to tell people in Africa who had never heard about the love of Jesus, they wanted them to know. And so they left everything behind and uh, they went to the Belgian Congo, as it was called then. They, they, and they didn't even want to stay in this main mission state station where other other people who had gone to give their lives for, for Jesus and help African people. They didn't want to stay. They wanted to get out to a remote area. God had called them to reach unreached people with the good news of Jesus. And so they went to the village of Nadelero, and they were stopped there by the chief who was afraid that letting them in would maybe uh, alienate some of their local gods that they believed in. So the two couples, the Ericsons that they went out with, and this 
floods. They, they opted to go about half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts partway up the mountain. And they prayed for a spiritual breakthrough amongst the people in the village so that they could just tell them about how Jesus died for them and loves them. But there was none. The only contact they ever had with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to go out from the village to sell them uh, chickens and eggs once a week. And Sevilla Flood decided that if this was the only African that she could talk to, she would tell the boy about Jesus. Over time, he prayed to trust Jesus with his life. However, malaria got so bad that the other couple, the Ericsons, left and went back to the main mission station. They'd had enough, and David and Sophia decided, God's called us here, let's just stay here, reach these people, let's go it alone. Sophia became pregnant, and in that primitive place, a little girl, Aggie, as she became to be called, was born. But Sophia, her mom, already weakened by malaria, and then this tough childbirth, despite the desperate prayers of her husband, only lasted another 17 days. Inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He, he dug a, a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then took baby Aggie down the mountain to the mission station, and he gave his newborn daughter to the Ericsons and snarled, I, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously cannot take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, and he gave up on his calling to tell people about God. He gave up on God. He began calling those years in Africa wasted. Nothing to show for it except a boy that his now dead wife had told about Jesus. Those are, the, those are the shakedown stories where we just can't understand. We're trying to do what's right and it turns out wrong. We think that God has forsaken us. It's, it's like a shakedown and we're in the middle of it. And where, where is God in all this? It's, it's like when Jesus cried out from the cross in his shakedown experience on Good Friday, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the worst shakedown in all of human history when Jesus died for us on Calvary. What was taken? Well, certainly justice was taken. Do you know that entire books have been written on how this was an illegal trial, both by the religious leader, Sanhedrin law and Roman law of the time. It, it, an innocent man in his 30s goes through the most torturous execution device thought up by the Romans. But it's all illegal. It, it's, a, it's a sham that's sponsored by jealous religious leaders. But on, but on a whole other level, think of it. God's son leaves heaven to rescue humanity, and he gets killed for it. Okay, so, so what else is taken? Justice is taken. His life is taken. Jesus dies. But, but even before his heart stops beating, he's flogged with a whip with uh, metal pieces in it that are, again, it's designed for, to bring about maximum pain and torture, ripping out the human flesh on his back, nails hammered through his hands, and yet that wasn't the biggest suffering it was abandoned by those that he loved, betrayed, 
and then being separated from his father so much that he cries, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you're able to sleep that Friday night as one of the followers of Jesus, what do you wake up to Saturday morning? You wake up to a world where injustice rules, death is final, and the score is evil one, love zero. And so the best that we could do then on this Good Friday 2021 is to have a memorial service for our innocent religious hero who was martyred because he, he loved us. That's the best we can do. You know, last Sunday morning, I was waiting to teach you on Palm Sunday morning and in between services, I was just praying across the front of another room in this church building here in Toronto. And I noticed, it was dark out there, and I noticed in the front row, I could see this spray bottle. And how many during COVID? What do you do when you see a spray bottle? So I just went over and I, I sprayed sanitizer on my hand. And then, but when I rubbed it, it felt weird. It smelled weird. What was it? Uh, so I had to take a closer look. And upon closer examination, this is what I had just sprayed on myself, a window film application solution. <laughs> just before we celebrate communion, I want to invite you to take a closer look, to examine more closely what really happened in that shakedown of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. Because sometimes we look at something, it's not what we think it is. What really was taken? What really was revealed? And what are we really left with after Jesus endured that shakedown on Good Friday? What was really taken? Well, we'll just listen to it. Let Jesus tell it in his own words. He said this, he said, no one can take. Now get that. No one can take. What's being taken here? No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want. And I also have the authority to take it up again. He says the same thing when he's arrested. Remember, Peter pulls out a sword. You ever, you can read it in the Gospels. Going to last-minute defense of Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, he's one of the 12. And he says, Peter, put your sword away. He says, don't you know that if I want out of this, I can call my father, and he'll send 12 legions of angels. He says the same thing when Pilate tells him, Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or set you free? And Jesus says, the only power you have is what my Father allows you in this moment. Do you see it? Jesus did not go to the cross trying to get out of it. He didn't resist or protest. It was exactly like the prophet Isaiah said it centuries ago. Remember, Pastor Jonathan led us in the scriptures. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It was the Lord's will to crush him. What was taken from Jesus then? What was taken? Well, upon closer examination, nothing was taken. Jesus gave it. He gave it all. It was a gift. So now what? <laughs> what is going to happen to evil if it doesn't even get a chance to take? 
Evil knows how to take. It knows how to steal. It knows how to just take what's not its own for itself. You know, when someone hates you, evil says, you hate them back. What do you have then? A whole bunch more hatred. Hatred knows how to increase its power. What happens if Jesus is hated and he doesn't hate back? Then what happens to evil? You know, we say, if you're hurt, hurt back. Retaliate. Get justice. But what happens if Jesus is hurt and he says, I'm not going to hurt back. I'm going to cancel that hurt. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. See, what happens when evil isn't left with anything to work with? You know what? Evil loses its power. When you take a closer look at the cross of Jesus, he's actually draining evil of its power. Three years before, John the Baptist, introducing Jesus to a crowd, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You want to know what was taken away on that Good Friday? Take a closer look. He took away the sin of the world. All right, second question, what was revealed? What was revealed in the Good Friday shakedown of Jesus? You know, remember that definition? A shakedown is a testing of something new for possible faults or defects. You know, to find out if there's anything wrong, just to reveal it. But what happens if a boat goes on a test journey and they come back and they say, nothing to fix, everything worked perfectly. A plane goes on a test flight and they come back and say, nothing to fix, it worked perfectly. No one disputes that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Even the religious leaders who wanted Jesus dead tried every trick and trap to trip him up. <laughs> and in the end, watch this, get this, the, the only way they got Jesus crucified was because he would not lie about who he really was. They said, you claim to be God, the Son of God. You claim to be the Messiah. And Jesus was. And they said, blasphemy, crucify him. All because there was no fault in him. And the pilot agreed. He said, he concluded, I find no fault in him. The soldiers who had mocked Jesus, or at least some of their colleagues did moments before, when they see Jesus dying and forgiving, and they said, and hear what he says to the thief beside him, they said, surely this was a righteous man. We're crucifying someone righteous here. You see, for the Jewish people, down the road from the cross, less than a kilometer away, just inside the city wall at the temple that Passover weekend, they were preparing the Passover lamb. It had to be a lamb, the law said it, without blemish, spotless, lamb of God, to qualify, to provide a temporary shedding of blood for the forgiveness of the sins for that past year, something that would be half have to be done the next year, but something that was pointing to the Lamb of God who would come, who would take away the sin of the world. See, J Jesus was unique in his sinlessness. You can't find any religious founder or anybody else that was perfect. Jesus is the only one. The Son of God was sinless. He, so that means, did you hear Pastor Jonathan lead us in Isaiah? He was wounded for whose transgressions? Not for his own, our. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Our. The Apostle Paul gets it right. Listen, he says, the wages of sin is death. But what if you don't have any sin? I guess you don't get paid. I guess you don't die. Death became part of the human experience when we chose to sin, to be selfish, to go our own way and not God's way. But what happens if you don't have any sin? No sin, no wages. No sin, no death. 
So what do you, what's death going to do when Jesus shows up in it and he has nothing to keep him there? <laughs> no, re you, you don't belong here, Jesus. You, you, you're you're going to have to go. Death is forced to say, Jesus, you cannot stay here. So Jesus leaves death, but not before saying, who's got the keys to this place? Jesus does not leave before picking up the keys because Jesus says, I'm going to use these keys for some people that I died for that have opened their hearts to my love. And I'm going to need these keys for people like, you know, Adam and Eve and Abel, Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and David and uh, Ruth and Esther. And, and I'm going to need these keys for Peter, James and John and Mary and Martha and another Mary. <laughs> I'm going to need these keys for Keith Smith. And another Esther, and their children, and their grandchildren. And on Good Friday evening 2020, I'm going to need these keys to unlock death for Keith's brother, David. And dear one, Jesus Christ today holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and he holds them for you for when your time comes. The apostle Paul took a closer look at what was happening on Good Friday when Jesus died, and he says this, he forgave all our sins. Here's what's really going on here. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Upon further examination, what's revealed on Good Friday is that the cross is not the defeat of Jesus at the hands of evil powers. It was the defeat of evil powers at the bleeding hands of Jesus. So that's, that's what Jesus gave. He gave his all. He gave his all. That's what was taken from him. A gift. What was revealed? A sinless Messiah that death could not hold. Okay, one more question to answer before we have communion together. After Jesus' Good Friday shakedown, what are we left with? We're left with, number one, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. He says it. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Upon closer examination, listen, what really got the shakedown when Jesus died was injustice. Now King Jesus is going to come again and make every wrong right. What really got the shakedown was death. Death is so shook up that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you notice you can't kill a Christian? You can only relocate them to be present with the Lord. Death was shook up. Injustice was shook up. Evil, evil may win a few games, but love went on to win the final championship. Whatever shakeups we experience in this life, listen, our eternal future is safe in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And secondly, what else are we left with? A reason to trust God in our shakedowns. We're like the disciples on Good Friday. We get in the middle of a shakedown and we don't understand what God is doing. We have our doubts and we dread and we get disillusioned. 
Just like Aggie's father. Remember that story? David Flood was so disillusioned. What happened next? Aggie was adopted by American missionaries who brought her back to the United States at the age of three where they were pastoring a church. She eventually married Dewey Hurst, who became the Bible College president. During those years, they attended a church conference in London, England, where a report was given from the nation of Zaire. That's the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the national church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers at that time, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie just couldn't wait till the gathering was over so she could go up and talk to the speaker. And she asked him, have you ever heard of David and Sphia Flood? He said, yes, it was Sphia Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. Your mother told me about Jesus, and when I grew up, I persuaded the chief to let me build a school in the village. I told them about Jesus, and the children began to follow Jesus. Then their parents, even the chief, became a Christian. Today there are, at that time, 600 Christian believers in that village, 110,000 in the nation of Zaire. And you say, yeah, but whatever happened to David Flood, Aggie's father? Aggie tracked him down in Sweden. He had remarried. He had four other children, and they warned her. They said, before you got to see him, before you go to see him, you got to know this. He'll go into a rage if you talk about God. Don't bring up the name of God. Aggie says she walked into the squalid apartment. There were liquor bottles everywhere, and she approached the 73-year-old man, her father, lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned and began to cry, reading from the book. He called her the sweetest name that they he had given her at birth, Aina. He said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been ruined because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Undaunted, Aggie stroked his face and then continued, Papa, I've got a story to tell you. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy, Mama led to the Lord, grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept multiplying. Today, there are 600 African people serving the Lord in that village because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. And there are thousands in that country that have experienced the love of Jesus. Papa, Jesus loves you. And she said in the story that by the time that afternoon was over, David Flood returned his life to the God who had never stopped loving him and working through the seeds he planted. Because upon closer examination... Even after his worst shakedown, he was still left with a kingdom that outlasted his personal shakedown. And he was left with a reason to trust God because of Jesus' shakedown. Oh, dear one, joining this Good Friday gathering today, never forget this. Whatever shakedown you experience, if you cannot understand what God is doing in the middle of that shakedown. Just trust him to be doing something bigger and better than what you can understand right now. But trust him until you see what he is bringing about. But now, what about you? What about you? Do you understand that Jesus died for you and loves you? 
you know, there, we, we have this Alpha weekend next weekend, and we're going to sort of open the door so people will just say, oh, that's what Alpha's all about. I can ask questions about God and Jesus, and, and, and they're all just good questions I can ask. But maybe there's some right now that, you know, you'll still join next weekend to learn about that, but you're saying, Pastor Keith, if you'll pray with me right now, I'm ready to open my, my life to the love of Jesus. I understand that upon closer examination, <laughs> he died so that my sins could be cleansed away, so I could have eternal life with him in heaven someday. How many, whether you are opening your life to Jesus for the first time, or you, you've gone away from Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming home like David Flood did. I'm going to trust you amidst my life shakedowns to know what you're doing and to bring me into your kingdom. I'm going to pray with you right now. And if you want to open your life to Jesus, just, just pray these words after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Enough to die on the cross for me. I receive the forgiveness you died to bring me. Cleanse away all my sins. And thank you that you'll never stop loving me. I want to live my life for you right into heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life today. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.